Hello and welcome to Converse Christianity, where we explore what it means to live out a countercultural faith in a secular age. My name's Jeremy. I'm Andrew. And we are both pastors of a church called Grace London in the centre of London. And today we want to talk about church. Now that might sound a little bit surprising because this is a whole podcast about how we live in a secular age, but it's our conviction that because of the secular age we live in, we will have imbibed and, and kind of shaped our attitude towards church um, from the kind of cultural assumptions that we that we kind of swim in and that we um, drink up every day in our um, in our normal lives, and so that's why we want to look at church today. Andrew, what what about you? Why does this topic matter to you? I think it's because if you if you go back to the New Testament, you think about the early Christian experience. There was no such thing as an individual Christian and individual spirituality separated from the church. So being a disciple of Jesus is automatically being brought into the family of God and being part of that community. So you can't really separate the two things. If we're going to explore, um, you know, discipleship in a secular age, mm. you're actually just, you're, you're actually wanting to explore what does this mean for you, for the community? What does this mean for the body, the church family? And how then do I, as a Christian, relate to the church? You know, what should my attitude be in my heart and my engagement with it? Great. Okay. So then let's start to get into it. Then what? how do you think our attitude to church has been shaped by the cultural context that we swim in? Well, it's an enormous question because we're, we're looking at a couple of thousand years of church history and the, the kind of the ways the church has morphed through the centuries. But I think if we kind of take a snapshot right now mm. in our particular moment in time and think, what are the, the major features of Western civilization that are impacting the church and, and changing the church into its image rather than us being like the New Testament church. And I think I already alluded to this, but probably that the primary thing would be a very overarching category called individualism. Mm. The idea that the Western person thinks of themselves um, primarily through in individualistic terms, which hasn't been true historically, so back through time, and isn't true globally. If you go to other parts of the world, humans tend to think of themselves more in the collective or more mm. in the community or they understand their identity more in terms of relationship to others the west is kind of weird in the sense that um we've been through these massive transitions partly because of christianity actually christianity kind of elevates the individual and says god knows you he loves you as an individual but and so the whole notion of human rights and so on has come from christianity but at the same time then it's fed this way of thinking about yourself as this lone individual living for your own desires, ends, ambitions, fulfillment, cut yeah. off from the community in some ways. I suppose the way I think about it practically is when I think about an individual coming into central London and leaving their family and just kind of the way you might operate as an individual thinking, well, I'm a kind of free agent, so I want to have maximum freedom to live as I want and do what I want. And so that kind of narrative of freedom, I think, is associated with individualism. But also more than that, there's no sense of responsibility to others. I basically yeah. just go through my life consuming and going to work and maximizing my own kind of future potential. But at no point am I really living with reference to the people around me. Exactly. And you define yourself. You you kind of you, you explore who you are and you discover your identity and then you live out your authentic identity this is kind of way that people think in this day and age which is profoundly different actually from the way people thought certainly when 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 christ was preaching yeah okay so how, i totally buy that i think actually interestingly when i read 
different thinkers on this subject, I'm struck by how much of a burden and a cr almost how crushing it can feel for someone to have to kind of find their purpose rather than uh, discern it from within community. But let's leave that aside. How does this individualism shape how people relate to church? I think some of the fruits of it are evident in the way people, I mean, it's very obvious in London, especially because you're, you're in a big city, right, where there are quite a lot of different types of churches on the church scene. And so if a person is kind of exploring their engagement with church through an individualistic lens, one of the main ways in which they will uh, approach church is, is through the lens of consumerism. Mm. Um, I guess it's it's not unlike how we approach everything else in life. We have multiple options of streaming services so we can watch any number of different movies or box sets in our home. Which one gives us the best bang for our buck? You know, mm. Which one has the best options available? Or do you just choose them all? And it's the same with every part of life. We, we live in the consumeristic age, which has turned the individual into a consumer. We live in an economic society where everything, your whole engagement with society is, is, is filtered through the lens of consumerism. Like you are, the way the West defines you is as a consumer, almost mm. primarily. So that means that that inevitably shapes the way people relate to churches. They no longer... Like we can sort of paint the picture here, right? So historically, you, you were, let's say you were born and grew up in a home that has been historically Methodist. Mm. You, your parents were Methodist, your grandparents were Methodist. There's an inevitability that you go to the Methodist church and you remain committed to it until old age and you raise your kids as Methodists as well. I'm, take, I'm painting a picture of what it was like you know, some time ago. And there were pros and cons to that, but that was the old picture. Everything has changed now. I mean, largely people are kind of unaware of what these denominations mean anymore. They're much more interested in going to church and what the experience delivers for me as a consumer. And that has shifted things enormously. It means that I, I push, I, I filter the whole experience of church through a different grid, I want to know whether it's addressing my felt needs. Um, and for each person, they're looking for different things, but fundamentally we're interested in, does this church service, and I'm not, not really the community even, but just the service, does it deliver for me what I think I need in a church? And so the picture in London, as I was saying, is, is, is particularly bad because we have all these various types of churches, you can think of them almost like franchises, you know, mm. represent different ways of doing a church experience. And so the young person who's new to the city perhaps um, will drift or bounce from church to church because they're, they're trying to find the right experience that fits them. And it means that your allegiance is quite weak. It means your commitment is quite weak as well because the second that it's not delivering what you as a consumer want or desire you you can switch options yeah yeah i think that's really fascinating it feels to me like you're describing a kind of whole wrong-headed orientation towards church in the sense of if you're coming to church saying kind of what's the experience for me how does this shape me rather than going to church saying okay how can i bless these people how can i be part of a community and be a kind of a blessing and a, a, a productive part of um shaping other people's lives and investing in community and all those kind of things it's almost like you're approaching it for the fundamentally wrong premise yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that there isn't an aspect to church that it shouldn't meet certain needs that you have as a person. And there are 
better and worse churches as well. So it's quite it's quite difficult to tease out what is right and what's wrong about that whole approach. But I think you are putting your fingers on it there that when somebody approaches it purely as a consumer without reference to, you know, giving, um, as in giving of themselves, then they are looking at it entirely the wrong way. I mean, I suppose that might also shape your whole vision of the Christian life. So you might be in danger of building a consumer, not just a kind of consumer approach to church, but actually a consumer approach to Christ. Like, give me what I want. Give me my kind of spiritual high. Give me my um, sense of purpose and meaning. <laughs> give me your love, which, of course, I think God does do these, all of those things to us. But in a sense, you, you lose sight of the fact that actually the call to follow Christ involves sacrifice, involves giving of oneself. So it's never, it can never be kind of seen through this lens of kind of what's the return on investment. And essentially you give your life. There's a, yeah. there's, there can't be any it's greater backwards. demand. Exactly. It's, it's backwards. It's, it's what we come to Jesus and say, what can you do for me? Mm. And uh, really the cross means, no, no, he, he's done, he's, he's accomplished something for us, but now he demands that we live our lives for him. So. Yeah. And that's the demand because you're a created you're part of his creation Amen. made for his glory. So yeah. it's kind of completely yeah. wrong-headed. But actually, yeah, we talk to people. I mean, you know, we, we engage with those people and that's our kind of root. We engage with skeptics all the time. But I suspect most of the time they're asking the question, what can you do for me? Absolutely. And it doesn't surprise me when you encounter this attitude. It's just saddens me when you see it in people who've been Christians for some time. You know, there ought to come a maturity where we begin to look at things, the world slightly different and not not just chiefly through this consumeristic way of thinking. But yeah, I'd say, as I said earlier, it's a fruit of individualism. So individualism is the big the big shift, I think, kind of the ground beneath our feet has changed. But then we, and, and consumerism is one of the fruits of that. Um, but another, another huge one is um, anti-authoritarianism. So we are, we're living in a day and an age in which the power, the power, balances of society have been so um, redressed or, or shifted that we no longer really think of ourselves in terms of um, authority and submission. We think of ourselves as um, self-governing individuals. I think who, the idea of authority and submission just jars with our deepest instincts yeah, now because it's like yeah. that desire for freedom, that you know, the idea that anyone will put themselves over you, that's yeah. just contrary to how anyone would think about their lives. Yeah, yeah. and you know, I'm, I'm not saying that that is an entirely bad shift because obviously authority because it's a powerful thing it's also a very dangerous thing but the bible never makes says that authority is an evil thing it just says it can be used for evil ends and obviously mm. god has all authority in heaven and on earth so we know that authority isn't inherently evil but i think because we as western individuals have cast off the shackles of authority off of us and we so believe and idolize really uh, democracy and equality in a way that the scriptures never lead us to to a degree that the scriptures never lead us to then the way that then begins to affect the church is it affects a person's relationship to the church um, they don't really think of themselves as coming into and under the authority of shepherds in that church they don't think of themselves as submitting to the fellow members of that church they see themselves rather as um sort of dropping in and out, getting what they need to go about their own personal mission in life. So does it top me up? Does it fuel me up? A bit like driving into a petrol, petrol station. Yeah. I, don't, I don't have a relationship of submission to BP or, or, or Texaco or whoever I'm buying my petrol from. I just want to get what I need and I go out on with my life. Yeah, so they almost just kind of serve a function in your life, but they don't really 
um, require anything from you yeah. except payment for, for their services. Yeah. Whereas I think what we're describing is a much more holistic vision a much more kind of something that requires much more from you than just a kind of transaction like the kind of te- uh, petrol garage that you describe. Yeah, and that absolutely is so hard for people in the West to get hold of. They can't necessarily... It's impossible to see the goodness of the New Testament vision when you believe, when you've idolized the individual to such an extent that they are this you know, self-governing, independent, autonomous um authentic individual expressing themselves to the maximum um i think the new testament would want to undercut so many of these ways of thinking i do want to get onto the new testament vision i just thought my one final thing i'd add to what you said there is the way that these things affect us in incredibly uh, subconscious ways so the average christian probably isn't waking up in the morning going i am a self-governing autonomous uh, anti-authoritarian individual but because that's the culture that we live in it's kind of just shaped how we interact with authority and how we interact with groups and we and it just it means that we naturally think of ourselves as an individual and we're very unlikely to embrace those other responsibilities unless we grab hold of the new testament vision which um i think we'll try and do now so um why don't you tell me a little bit more of just kind of give me the paint the picture for me of how the new testament differs and the picture it paints um for what it means to be part of the church where do you begin? I think the first thing you'd want to say is that the New Testament wants to assert that you are not an individual, you're not saved purely as an individual, that first and foremost, you're saved by Christ and that you're saved by union with Christ, which is this kind of mystical way of explaining how you're saved. You know, it's, it's difficult to, to get across in, in a few brief terms, but basically you get joined to Christ, like it, like like when you're married to a person. Mm. You're joined to Him. You're no longer a kind of free radical, um, floating, you know, like a meteorite in space. You're now in His orbit, mm. like a planet, right? So you're stuck to His gravitational pull, and that's good for you. And not only that, but you also now are in part of a family. Now this family goes back to the earliest pages of the Bible, right? It goes back to the patriarchs. It goes back to God speaking to Abraham on those various occasions in the early chapters of Genesis when he says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Mm. And um, so so as a Christian, you're saved into this lineage and this family. And you're not, yes, you, you matter to God as an individual. He's called you by name. But at the same time, you then take on this identity whereby you you, you experience a solidarity with God's people all the way through history and also globally. And then that solidarity and that kind of community and that sense of togetherness is discovered in the local community when you, you touch and feel and experience the body of Christ in a tangible way and you're known and loved and, and also know and love others. Mm. It's a, it's a radically different picture from Western individualism. Yeah, that's really helpful. I mean, I, I think the language of family really helps me because I think the average Western Christian may well approach church, particularly in London, from a kind of lens of crowd. Mm. Essentially, I'm part of a crowd here. Mm. I'm coming to consume and enjoy and engage with this, but then I'm, I'm going to leave. And, it's, and it's, it's a kind of, there's not much of a sense of shared experience except we're all sitting in the same room. But I think the New Testament picture of family of about sense of, has all those kind of sense of mutual responsibilities to one another. We talk about lots of one another verses all the way through the New Testament of everything to kind of love one another, to rebuke one another. So it's a full range, but it's it's always about this kind of sense of 
of uh, communal life together mm-hmm. being a reflection of their new identity they have with mm-hmm. Christ and as a community. So, yeah, I'm just wondering how, okay, so now we have this big vision. What? How does that work its way out? And how does that make the, the church in London or how should that make the church in London look different? There's a number of words that could capture, I think, what this picture is or this vision is. Uh, one word would be devotion. I think that the the disciple, as you see being being described and depicted in, in the Bible, is somebody who has this kind of this total devotion to God and to his people. And that's much more than um, a one-sided consumer relationship. It's something where you're actually laying down your life for others. Mm. Um, I think about passages, for example, in Philippians 2, where Paul he uses the example of Christ who humbled himself by becoming flesh and then humbled himself to the cross. And he says that this mind ought to be ours. And what he means is that just as Jesus kind of emptied himself of, of glory, as it were, by taking on humanity and did it in pursuit of us, he says, if you have this mind among yourselves, you think of others as better than you. Mm. So you go into the church family and everywhere around you, you're you're amazed by the wonder of these people and and the way that God's at work in their lives, and you want to serve them, you want to give yourself for them. Or, you know, um, Paul uses other analogies that describe this this devotion. He talks about us being part of a body where every part has a function. Um, it's 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 radically different from the kind of crowd mentality mm. that you just described. Now, I think that there is a kind of a both-and thing here to some degree, though. There is a sense in which, you know, certainly in the book of Acts, when the when the, the early church is being described, there are times when it, you just see it as a great crowd of people, a great crowd mm. of worshippers. They go up to the temple. There are thousands of them worshipping Jesus, and there's glory in that. There's something majestic about that. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with big numbers of people all praising mm. Jesus together. You know, that's a wonderful and beautiful thing, and I think it mm. magnifies who Jesus is. He's worthy of it. But then the church, when it comes down from that kind of mountaintop experience as a crowd, it then kind of dissolves into, that's a negative word, I should say, you know, it, it it's intentionally moves into community in the form of going into each other's homes. So in the book of Acts particularly, you see this, how they gathered in the, in the temple and in people's homes every day. So there mm. was this kind of rhythm of we're all together worshiping Jesus on the mountaintop, but then we come down and we descend the mountain, we go into each other's homes and experience deep fellowship where, you know, you know me, I know you, I correct you, you mm. correct me, I submit to you and you submit to me. And there's all these kind of wonderful and beautiful dynamics of power and of life transforming give and take and these kinds of things which actually mm. are good for you and which you're created for. Um, rather than to be this free-floating meteorite in space that unconnected to, you know, any any uh, greater thing than you. Yeah, I, I think the first thing that anyone, when they're going to hear that, is going to say, if they're not used to that, is this feels heavy. So I don't know, how would you respond to the idea that this feels heavy? It feels well, really attractive. They're not going to like heaven. Because <laughs> heaven is is the culmination of God rebuilding society on earth to the, to, the, to, the, to the extent that all sin is rooted out and we are perfectly loving people who love Christ and love each other. And uh, we experience all the good parts of community without any of the bad parts. Mm. You know, that's what the New Testament vision is partly about God doing that now 
in anticipation of its fulfillment in heaven. Mm. So what what we're calling to people to is not something that's um, temporary or um, that's just sort of momentary. We're calling people to a whole new orientation and direction and say, this is what God made you for in the first place. He made you to experience this kind of depth of intimacy, this love, this commitment that you give to others and you receive from others. And you will enjoy that eternally. Mm. And it's going to be, it's going to give you a, a sense of joy every day of your life in eternity. So come and taste a little bit of it now. Like, you know, you're not particularly fulfilled when you're chasing just self-oriented dreams. You know, you, I mean, you know, you need more than that, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you, you talk a lot of people with people come on your, on the salt course, don't they? And what is it that drives people to that? Isn't there a longing for community? Yeah, I think, I think the first place that most people start, Western secular people start with is there must be something more. There must be something more to life than just it's like the, an existential Yeah, that question. existential itch is just written throughout so many people in our culture. And we right. meet people like that all the time who are, who are feeling the sense of which life cannot just be about my productive output. It cannot just be about me consuming all these different things. There must be some kind of greater purpose that comes from outside of myself. But I think then when people experience community as they start to engage with that i think probably the thing that's most two things i think would look really interesting to someone coming from outside the church one is the level of commitment to one another yeah. we live in a very flaky generation where people are you know flaking out oh yeah i can't meet you sorry you know 10 minutes before their meeting or whatever and actually the church would look should look radically different to that in saying no actually i'm willing to lay down my life for my brothers and sisters i'm willing to serve them and so i think that would look very attractive the other thing that would look very attractive to londoners is just the way the church brings together people who are radically different to each other i was just yeah. speaking to my friend on um earlier in the on the week who isn't a christian and um he was just saying the thing that he that strikes about the church which is so beautiful is the way that you can be in a community of people which are so different to each other and think about that in racial terms think about that in terms of people's background class all those kind of things it's so attractive to a world that wants diversity in community or wants a community of people yeah. who are diverse but actually you look around london and so often people are in bubbles of uh, kind of people who are exactly like them in yeah. all sorts of different yeah. ways so yeah. i think the church because we have a, a binding affection to Christ, which supersedes all those other things, should look ra radically attractive to the secular person. Absolutely agree. And therefore also what might on the outside appear intense actually becomes, it's one of those things that basically it delivers what you put in. Mm. So uh, certainly that's been my experience. If I, if I have a, a casual relationship to a community, you know, I'll sit on the fringe and I won't particularly receive much from being part of that community. But if I, am, if I throw myself in with both feet, Mm. and begin to really take the teaching of Christ seriously you know all those instructions that you reference the love one another the, the, the sorry the one another commands that mm. are all the way through the, there's like 30 or 40 of them isn't mm. the, in the New Testament they go from love one another rebuke one another teach one another exhort one another encourage one another you know bear with one another in love just it goes on and on if you take that stuff seriously you suddenly find that this is one of the most fulfilling and purposeful ways of living i would say yeah and i think also it just speaks to the hu deep human desire to be loved and to, to be and loved and that's not i don't think that's a um one-way relationship actually right. really all of us want to be in those kind of mutually mutually loving fulfilling relationships and so i think again it speaks to that it, great itch and desire for love that i can see all around us in our culture it's just that most of the time people channel that romantically and actually, I think if you find a place in a community of people who are genuinely 
like pouring out their lives for one another, serving each other, et cetera, et cetera, then I think that would speak to some of that itch. That would scratch quite a lot of that itch, even before you start talking about romantic relationships. Yeah, very good. Okay, well, I think that's all we've got time for tonight, um, today. Uh, we're going to leave it there. It's not the night. I it's don't know not the you... night. This is not the night. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you said it's tonight. It's the middle of the night. I'm just, I'm just, I don't know, channeling. You're that. tired, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> You're ready for bed. <laughs> exactly, exactly. 3.46 p.m. Okay, great. Thank you very much, everyone. We'll um, see you next time where we discuss what it means to follow Christ in a secular age. Thank you. <laughs>